going to get into the Word. We're uh, in a series on the parables of Jesus right now. Uh, we've been enjoying the series. Uh, today is part five, and we are going to be talking about the prodigal son. Uh, if you're uh, newer at Grace and Peace, we just want you to know inside your, uh, your bulletin there, there's a little note sheet where you can follow along, kind of outlines where we're going, some of the main points, things to take away. Uh, you, you know, we could always review during the week, that kind of a thing. So I want you to know that that's there. And, uh, you, you know, when we talk about parables, if you're new to the series, you know, uh, parables are stories. Uh, and, um, you, you know, the idea of a parable is you are placing one thing alongside of another thing. You're placing two things side by side. It's an earthly story uh, that is uh, conveying a heavenly principle. That's, that's why Jesus would share these things in parables. And today we're going to look at one, uh, probably one of the most well-known parables of the prodigal son. Uh, so I'm going to start in Luke chapter 15, and uh, I'm going to start in verse 11, and we're going to read through this. And I tell you, th this is actually, this will definitely be a series somewhere down the road just on the prodigal son. There's so much that's packed into this. We're going to look at this devotionally this morning. And what I mean by that is I want us to be uh, listening with our hearts as we look at a couple of key truths that the Lord was really trying to convey uh, with each person in the story that that we look at here. And uh, we want to be a little reflective. We want to be asking ourselves, Lord, uh, what of these principles am I walking out? Which ones do I need to kind of get on the radar in my life? And, and so we'll just let God speak to our hearts as we go through. So, all right, let's take a look at verse 11. It says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now, notice this. I really want you to catch this in verse 17. It says, when he came to his senses. Ah, oh, we're, we're going to get back to that. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, but make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But, everybody say but. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Now, this is uh, a great, powerful uh, parable for us already, but it doesn't stop there. It goes on in verse 25. Meanwhile, 
The older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. And so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. And the father responds, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Amen. Amen. There's so much that we'll get into, but we're, we're going to look at this. Like I said, devotionally, we're really going to look at uh, each character in the story. We want to look at the younger son or, or, you know, what is, you know, we know as the prodigal son. We want to look at the father who I want to suggest to us today, uh, and you'll see what I mean by this in a minute, we can call the prodigal father. And then we want to look at the older son, or if we're from the brother's perspective, the older brother. So let's just get a little more context of this parable to understand some of the depth of what, what God's really trying to get across. So in Luke chapter 15, we started in verse 11, right? But if we go back to the beginning of the chapter, the Pharisees, in those first two verses of the chapter, the Pharisees are just railing on Jesus because he's hanging out with uh, tax collectors and sinners, and so they're the religious folks, they're the religious elite, and they're giving Jesus a hard time because he's hanging out with these sinners, you know. Uh, and then Jesus now responds to, you know, the, the, the fuss that they're causing. And so the, he goes on and he says, I want to share some stories. And so he shares about a lost sheep. And then he shares about a lost coin. And then he shares about a lost son. And that's what we're looking at here, the lost son. But the context is him being criticized for being around people uh, who aren't living lives going after God. You, you know, and, and as he shares these stories, he says, you know, there's, there's a, a you know, hundred sheep and one wanders off and the good shepherd goes after the one. Literally will leave the 99 to go after the one. And then he talks about this lost coin where the person searches high and low for this coin and then absolutely rejoices and, and calls, you know, neighbors in for celebration. Hey, I found this coin that was lost. And then we have this picture of, uh, of the lost son, the prodigal son here. So this is, th this whole chapter and this story, you, you know, the overarching theme, right, is, is the love of God. We're seeing God's love for people. And, you know, years ago uh, in the youth ministry days, I remember somebody, it's always stuck with me, somebody preaching on this chapter. And they said, you know, interesting uh, selection that Jesus uses in these parables. You know, uh, he uses a sheep, you know, and we know scripturally speaking and, you know, from biology, sheep aren't the brightest in the world, are they? You know, and uh, we have a sheep that he wasn't in rebellion, he just wandered off. He didn't want to be away from the master, but at some point he looked up and said, where'd everybody go? I was eating grass and, and, and now I'm lost. You know, and the shepherd goes looking for this, this sheep that says, I don't know how I got here, but I'm lost. 
You know, then there's this coin. You know, think about it. A coin is an inanimate object that didn't have any choice on its own. By virtue of its circumstances, it found itself lost. But the Lord went looking for the coin as well. And then we have this, this son who said, I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm shaking my fist in my father's face. I'm telling him I want nothing to do with his ways, and I'm going off and doing my own thing. So, so just a, a beautiful picture of the love of God, whether somebody is saying, I'm lost, I don't know how I got here, or somebody says, you know, the circumstances of my life have driven me to this place, and, and I don't know what to do, or somebody else along the way who is saying, I just shook my fist in God's face and didn't want anything to, to do with him. God's message to each person is, I go looking for you because I love you with all of my heart. That's, that's the message that we see in these stories here. So, you know, this word prodigal, what does it mean? You know, and, and you know how I said earlier, prodigal son, prodigal father? Well, to be prodigal on one respect is to be recklessly wasteful. And again, if you're following along in your notes, that would describe the son. But it also means wastefully extravagant. And you know, that would describe the father. You say, well, what do you mean by, you know, you're saying God's not a good steward, God's not wasteful? No, the, the point here is God will so lavish his love on us that it'll just be a total outpouring of everything he is in his love. And that's what we're going to see here today. And again, I want us to, I want us to be, you know, you know, doing a little bit of soul searching as we're going through here. Do I recognize these things that the Lord is wanting to make so clear for my life? All right, so some observations about, let's start with the younger son, the prodigal son. He left home because he was deceived. We know he was deceived because we know later on we read he came to himself. He came to his senses, depending on which, uh, which translation you look at it in. So, hey, what was he deceived by? Well, a couple of things. He was deceived about what money could buy. You know, he had, his, he had his father. He was part of a family. They had purpose. They were walking things out. They were doing things uh, God's way. Uh, but he thought, you know what? If I just get what dad has, then I can just do whatever I want my way without anybody interfering then I'll be happy. So he was deceived. He thought his resource, he thought his finance, he thought the pursuit of finance would be the end all and be all. Uh, and, and, and we know that wasn't the case. And then he was also deceived about the pleasure of sin. You know, the word of God tells us that uh, sin is pleasurable for a season. But it actually tells us in scripture, doesn't it? The wages of sin is death. You know, they're, they're what a person gets paid. That's the wage they earn for sinning. You know, it says in Proverbs, there's a way that seems right to a person. But in the end, it leads to death. You know, and as the, uh, the great philosopher Bob Dylan once said, he hit it on the head, a bullseye. And the deceptiveness of sin hides us from recognizing this. I don't care which side you're on here, you have to serve somebody, right? That was this song from years ago, it was a slow train coming, right? Pastor Ralph, that was the name of the album, right, Bob Dylan? You got to serve somebody. He was thinking, I'm tired of serving my father and the God who he serves. I don't want to do it his way. I'll go off and do my own thing, not realizing that he's serving sin. 
There is no void in this life of, of serving somewhere. We either serve God and those wages are life and eternal life, or we serve the wages of sin and that leads to death. There was other uh, deception he had too, though. He had deception about who his real friends were. You know, as long as the money was rolling, he had uh, a bunch of people around him that were just loving on him and, and there for him. But then when everything dried up, when the famine happened, you know, none of them said, hey, you've fallen on hard times. You've done so much for us. You know, come back and stay with us. I'll help you find a, a job, right? They all literally left him and abandoned him, right? And when, when friendship is built around the agenda of living for self and self-centeredness and sin and all of that, it's not going to withstand the tough times. You know, so he found himself friendless, all alone. And then, you know, the, the last area where he was deceived was about himself. Right, when the famine came, the only job that, that he could secure was that of feeding the pigs. And, and he's going to be so pleasantly surprised when he gets home to father because he's thinking... You know, as far as I'm concerned, uh, I, I'll be lucky if I'm his servant still. Now, it's good that he recognized that his behavior was wrong, you know, but, but he, he didn't recognize that from his father's perspective, he was and always will be his son. Amen. So, so that's the son and, and the, the deceitfulness of sin. And, you know, uh, yeah, I think the word for the, the worldview is hedonism, living for pleasure, living for self. You know, and at the end of the day, uh, the scripture tells us, you, you know, that that's absolutely always going to be a dead end. Um, and yet that's, isn't that what's marketed in the world all around us? Billions of dollars marketing, you know, just, just to embrace that kind of uh, worldview. All right, but then we have the father. And now the father was prodigal in the other way because he just lavished gifts upon his son. And he, 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 was, he was prodigal in his lavish gifts. He gave him this robe of distinction. You know, so the best robe in the house is now put on his back. Now, now I want it to be clear, the, the pathway back from the prodigal state says he came to himself, he, he came to his senses, and that there was a brokenness on the inside. It said that there was a surrender, there was a humility and a repentance. You know, he said, I have sinned against God and I've sinned against my family. I have to go home. I got to own up to that. Isn't it interesting? He said, you know, uh, he, he said, this is true when he was still in the pig pen. And then when he got home to his father, he said the same thing. I've blown it. I've missed it. And, and the father's response wasn't, you're sure right you did. And you've got a lot more coming for that. You know, but instead, while he was still far away, his father is scanning the horizon looking for him. I think somebody here, maybe watching online, needs to be encouraged by that. No matter what you think is going on in your life, your father is looking for you. He's saying, come home. He's saying, come home. He's saying, come home. You know, he's not saying, you better this, you better that, you better that. It's a broken spirit and a contrite heart that says, God, I get it. Your way is the way, and I come back to you. It's not by anything I did. It's not by anything I earned. I'm just in my, in my need. I'm coming to you. And God, like the Father demonstrating here, puts his arms around us. He gets this robe of distinction, and then he gets the ring of authority. That ring on his finger was a symbol of household authority. So his father, you know, would give that ring, and that gave authority to transact business on his behalf. You know, that might be a takeaway for some of us here this morning. You know, you, 
as you have made Jesus Christ Lord of your life. First of all, how many know he's put a robe on you? He's put the best robe in the house on you. A robe of righteousness. The righteousness that comes in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. For what Jesus did for us on the cross. And he's put that ring on your finger. You have been made a royal priest. A holy nation. A peculiar person. Peculiar. Where people see you coming. And that's one of God's ambassadors. Amen. This God that loves me. Sending this person to represent him, to conduct business on his behalf. What is that business? That hearts would turn back to him. That lost sons and lost daughters would come back home to him. And and then I, I think this is neat too. The sandals, if you go back to the culture, they were sandals of sonship. And uh, they represented being reinstated into the household as a son. Because the servants in the house didn't wear sandals. So here he is saying, I'll be lucky if I get to be a servant. And, and, and the father tos, uh, shows him tangibly, no, you've come home, my son. You're my son. And then he was also not only lavish with the gifts, but he was joyous in celebration. He threw the banquet to end all banquets. How many know the fatted calf was reserved for a special occasion? You know, because he comes back in, right? We read in the story and he's asking the servants, what's going on? He didn't say, your father killed a fatted calf. He said, your father killed the fatted calf. The one that's being uh, put aside for the next big party that we have. You know, it's like you ever have where, you know, somebody goes shopping and there's something really, really good that you want in the fridge and they say, don't touch that. That's either not for you, man, or they say, that's not for today. You know, that's for the the party or that's for this or that's for that. You know, that's exactly what went on. What do you mean he killed the fatted calf? That means something really big is going on here and there's music and there's dancing. But, you know, not only was he, you know, lavish with his banquet and with his gifts, uh, he was lavish, uh, he was prodigal in his forgiving love. You know, the son, by asking for his inheritance, he basically looked at his dad and said, you're as good as dead to me. You know, and and in Jewish culture, people would expect a father to reject a son uh, who did this and disregarded his family. It would be expected that the son would be shunned away. Uh, And then the father went running to meet his son. This was very undignified. And, you know, I think about it. Wow, you know, how undignified in extravagant love was Jesus Christ who is eternally existent outside of time as the second member of the Trinity leaves heaven, enters this world as a baby, lives a sinless life, dies on a cross, hung between heaven and earth, naked, being punished for sin that he didn't commit because of his great love for each of us. That's pretty undignified, wouldn't you say? 
But I tell you what, an extravagant love is an undignified love for sure. How many know that, that song, How He Loves Us? Oh, how he loves us, right? You know, and it talks about he loves like a hurricane and all these cool things. And, you know, there, there's, one, uh, there's one spot in there where it says, and heaven meets earth like an unforeseen kiss. How many know that, that lyric? And, you know, as I first heard that song, I thought about that. You know, come on, we've all seen it either, you know, in some romantic movie on the Hallmark Channel. Guys, if you're really good, maybe you pull this on your wife. There, there was just this unforeseen kiss that just sweeps them. They're, they're swept off their feet. You know that because their foot goes back like this, right? You know, that sweep you off your feet kind of love, you know? Oh, how he loves us. That song is like a, oh my goodness, it's mind-blowing. We can't get our hearts around just how big the love of God is in our life, right? So what we see in this is inexhaustible mercy uh, from the Father in restoring his son when he comes to him in repentance, so, you know, our God is the same as our Father. He lavishes great love on us in an unrestrained, uninhibited way. He really is a prodigal father. Miriam uh, Webster uh, Dictionary on prodigal uh, says to give extravagantly even to the point of having nothing left. I think that's so cool. And I, and, and I, you know, right up until this study, always looked at prodigal as that it was just what the, the son did, riotous, you know, wasteful, very sinful. And on the other side, that's met with just this extravagant love of God. So, so again, if you're following in the notes, the prodigal father shows the heart of God as he extravagantly pours out his grace and mercy and kindness upon us. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And that's where I want to move into now uh, with the oldest son. If we could, just to help drive the point home a little bit here, I want us to understand in, in the New Testament picture for us to get of this, the older son is the church guy. Amen? He's the church guy. And, and, and I want us to understand here, there's things from the older son that we absolutely want to glean and grab a hold of. And then there's things from the older son that Jesus, remember we're talking to the Pharisees here, right? Answering the Pharisees' uh, criticisms. There's things that he wants to make sure that we get, you know, so things to do and things not to do. Uh, so first of all, as Christians, we need to emulate the older son's obedience, his loyalty, and his service. Right at the end of the day, the older son stuck around. He was there for the father. He was faithful. That's part of the reason why he's so upset. Wait a minute, I was faithful. You never, you know, killed the fatted calf for me. You know, I was never celebrated this way. What's going on? You know, so we, you know, we, we see this picture of obedience, loyalty, and service, and we want to absolutely emulate that. But here's the thing, uh, never should we allow our faithfulness and obedience cause us, uh, to cause us to become cold-hearted or self-righteous. Amen? Because that's what we see here. And you want to know it? That, that is something, there is no human being that is above the vulnerability to take that on. You know, and the remedy for that goes back to remembering who the father is, remembering that we were all the prodigal son, and then out of that place, 
you know, able, able to see things, not only to be obedient and loyal and faithful, uh, but to also recognize the other aspect of our Father's character, which is extravagant grace and mercy for those that will repent and come to him, right? So the oldest son allowed his faithfulness to produce uh, some attitudes that we want to stay away from. And I listed, you know, in three different points here. First of all, an attitude of bitterness toward his brother against his brother, bitterness against his brother. And, you know, there, there's a, a message that uh, I, I kind of like to cycle back to certain messages because I just think they're themes that we, we, we got to just keep holding on to. And there's one on walking in intimacy with the Lord. And in that, I've got like a little bit of a, an inventory on how we can check the intimacy level in our life with the Lord. Amen? And one of the ways that we can check is when somebody else is getting their socks blessed off while we're in the valley. And whether or not we can celebrate that testimony. The way I have it in the inventory is, do happy, victorious Christians bug you? And if they do, that's, that's a little warning sign going off. Wait a minute. I got to get my heart back in line. I've been so faithful and I'm in this valley and this person's newly saved or this person's just been, you know, or, or I know how imperfect they are and God, you bring them this blessing and not me, Right? That's, that's the church guy syndrome that the Lord is telling is careful, you know, that, that we want to guard against, right? So bitterness against his brother. And then, as I mentioned already, uh, an attitude of self-righteousness. And, and again, how do we guard against that is just continuing to remember what he's done in our lives, how much he's forgiven us. Keeping that first love like the church is encouraged in, in the book of Revelation. Go back to those early days where you were in wonder, where you were swept off your feet for the mercy and grace and love that God has poured out on you, right? And then also he had an attitude of envy and jealousy, being jealous over, you know, what, what God was doing, you know, as pastors. We got to guard against, you know, seeing a church being blessed. We want to be cheering them on. If I ever find myself, Lord, why aren't you doing that here? I know. I got to get before God. I got to say, we're all the same body, and glory to God, you're moving. Amen? amen. Come on, amen? amen? So envy and jealousy, now we, we got to keep all of that stuff out of our lives. Now, here, here's another point. The older son didn't understand grace. He didn't understand the Father's grace. He was saying his grace was unfair, it was compromised, it was unjust. There's another parable that we could tie in with this one of the prodigal son. It's uh, how many are familiar of the one where there's all the workers that go out to work in the field and some start first thing in the morning and then some start a little bit later in the day and then there's the, the last, you know, that get in on it. And when the day starts, the, the person who's hiring the folks out says, hey, I'll pay you this amount. You know, so uh, when the people got there at the very end of the day, the gracious, merciful person gave the worker the same amount as the people in the morning who agreed upon getting that work in the morning. Am I explaining that all right? Is that, is that making sense? And the, the folks who watched the new people get paid the same amount carried the church guy attitude. They said, oh, well, if he's given them what he promised me, they didn't word it that way, but that's exactly what it was. So if he's giving them what he promised me, 
and they showed up later, ha, he's going to have to give me more because they misunderstood the heart of grace and mercy, the love and the extravagant compassion that God has for people. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Praise God. So we want to carry that in, in you know, and, and, and let's be clear, you know, in the Word of God, right? We're told, like what I'm talking about here about love and people and extravagant love and compassion, you know, the father didn't welcome the son home and say, hey, and if you want to keep blowing my money on prostitutes and booze, go ahead, keep on it, son. I just love you. <laughs> right? That's not the attitude. The son came home after he came to his senses. And he realized, I got to go back to my father because you know what? He was showing me the way to life. And I was rejecting the way of life. I thought I could live in this world without having to serve somebody. But in serving myself, I became imprisoned. And I'm now coming to my senses, realizing if I go back and serve my father, I'm actually free. Man, as I surrender to him, I'm free. So we have this picture in the word where we are to, as a matter of fact, it tells us right in Romans that we're not to condone the sin we see in the world. Come on, can you say amen? amen. That if we condone it, it's way to us as if we participated in it. It's a big responsibility. So oftentimes we hear it worded this way. We need to love the sinner and hate the sin. You know, and, and that's, that's, that's a good concise way. But you know, it's easy to muddy that up, isn't it? It's easy to confuse those things, but not if we keep God's heart. And not if we say, Lord, let my heart beat and break and be moved by what beats your heart and breaks your heart and moves your heart. I mean, and it goes right back to ABCs in the Lord, right? The greatest commandment, love God with all of your heart. It's got to start there. But the Lord do doesn't, you know, he, Jesus was asked, right? What is the greatest commandment? And, and in not so many words, he answered and said, I can't give you one, I got to give you two. But two comes out of one, but they absolutely work together. Love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus goes on and he gives another parable. By the way, let's talk about who your neighbor is. It's the person beat up and bloodied on the side of the road that you don't have any identity with. To go and love that person and, and help them see the Father's love through you. Can you say amen? So 2 Peter 3, 9, uh, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. See, you know, the disciples all saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. Okay, I really have to shut Siri off before I get up here. Sorry, guys. You know, the, the disciples watched Jesus ascend into heaven. And then, you know, the angels are saying, hey, why are you standing there? He's going to be coming back the same way. And there was this sense of any minute now he's going to be coming back. So as time started going by, people started saying, hey, is, is this really true? Did he really promise that? Is this really happening? And then we see things in Scripture. Well, a day is like a thousand years to God. A thousand years like a day. I mean, from that perspective, he's only been gone a couple days. But what we see here, uh, he's not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 
So we've talked about this before, right? We, you know, there's different dispensations. There's the, you know, dispensation of the old covenant. And in this new covenant in Jesus and his blood and his death, burial, and resurrection, we are now living in this age of grace. But there will be coming a time where this age of grace will wind down. There'll be no more opportunity to respond to the extravagant love of God for salvation. And so when we look at it and say, you know, I mean, it does say in the word, come quickly, Lord, right? Because that's our cry, because we want to be with him. We want to see his kingdom come and his will be done. But at the same time with that, the Lord is saying, but I'm not willing for any to perish. See, the great commission that we're called to, to go preach the gospel to all creation, to tell everybody this good news, it's to be an outflow of our heart. It's to be an outflow of our love relationship with him. It's to be an outflow of this extravagant God. Oh, how he loves us. Now I have to do my part to make sure other people learn of his love. And how many would say, this is a great, great parable. parable. These are great truths for us to reflect on in this current climate and season that we live in, in our world, right? I mean, would you agree with me that people are more cranked up and amped up than ever? You know, I go to the, the shop right in Manchester, and there's a lot of the, lot of the senior communities drop off the buses, and some of them seniors want to take each other out. Like, you are, you are cranked up, you know. It's, it's just your cart, and you can go around it. It's going to be okay. But lest I just, you know, be pointing toward, you know, being amped up and cranked up is equal opportunity regardless of what station of life that you're in right now, you know. But whoa, whoa, it is really something where you just, just see, you know. And, and if we're not careful in the church, we pick up that spirit of the age, you know, when instead the Lord, you know, I mean, I didn't come to Christ because somebody was standing up and saying, you sinful jerk. Do you know what kind of a stinking wretch you are? You good for nothing. You need to get to God. That's not how I surrendered to him. His love melted my heart. His love melted me. In every place where I was running away from him, there was a time when I was 19 where I came to my senses and I looked around and I said, I'm in a pig pen. I need to get out of this pig pen and I need to go and surrender to God. And that's when I discovered the, the paradox. I'm not really truly free until I have surrendered to the one who made me. And in him, finding a freedom like we've never known. Can you say amen? Amen. So, so these are some of the big truths uh, for us to take away out of this. Now, as we wrap up here, I want us to, uh, you know, if you look at your next steps, if there's anybody here this morning and you've never invited Christ to be Lord of your life, if you're like the prodigal where you'd say, yep, I've been doing my own thing. I've been living for me. Uh, I'm in sin. You know, maybe you were uh, walking with God at some point, but now you've walked away. Maybe this is a come to your senses morning, you know, where you're saying, you know, this is it. I hear it. I got to get my life right with God. I would say to you, the Lord's saying, come home to your father today. 
And I would love the honor to pray with you. At the end of this service, I'll be standing over here. If anybody needs to say, I'm inviting Christ in my life, you know, uh, that's the starting point for all of this, right? If we confess him with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you know, we confess him as Lord. Repentance is in that. This whole picture of I've sinned against heaven and, and I need to repent and, and give my heart to him. The Bible says that he will not cast any away. There is no person who comes to him in repentance where he will say, not nope, you've done too much, or not nope, you're not good enough. He will receive each one who comes in faith. As a matter of fact, it tells us beautifully, you know, in Scripture, it's not by works so that no one can boast. The only thing we brag on is the extravagant love of God, yeah. right? That's it. We come to him and just say, all right, I believe it. I believe it and I receive it and Jesus come live in my heart. And the, and the Bible tells us that we, that's where the phrase born again comes from. It's in the Bible in a couple of places. We, we are dead. We are a spirit man and we are dead before meeting God, before this transaction with heaven. And then we become alive, born again, our eternity forever set with him. And now we live the rest of our life walking out the great purpose that he'd have for us. So that's the first point. Anybody who's backslid, anybody who doesn't know him yet, man, it would make my day to be able to pray with you uh, in just a minute at the end of service. All right, second, what most stands out to you from what we looked at at this prodigal? You know, is there anybody who he who's here who's saying, man, you know, the, the whole deceitfulness of riches, I'm not leaning on the Lord. I'm leaning on my resource. I'm leaning on my job. I'm leaning on my bank account. I'm leaning on this world around me. And man, I need to lean on him. You know, maybe it's a picture of, you know, yeah, all those friends that surrounded him, they all had an agenda uh, to, to implode their lives. Man, I got to get some different people around me. Because our commonality is that we're, we're, we're running toward hell. I got to get some different friends. You know, maybe that's the takeaway. I got to look at, you know, the people and the voices I'm allowing in my life. I would even bring that beyond physical friendships. I would say, how's my media? How's my music? How's what I'm watching? How's my, the ideas and philosophies that I'm taking in on, you know, YouTube or wherever else, you know, are these toxic things pulling me away from God or am I surrounding my life with people who are pulling me toward heaven, toward the best that God has for me? Amen. What about, maybe there's others here today where you're saying, I, I'm not walking in the extravagant love of God. I, I don't know that I've let myself fully believe that, that he loves me that way. You know, maybe today would be a day where you'd say, Lord, I'm just, I'm just grabbing a hold of that. There, there's a book, uh, we, I've, I've done it as a small group, we've done it in internships, it's, you know, uh, you know, of course, the Word of God is first and foremost. I flood the Word of God into my life, but this is, uh, it's called the 4-8 principle. I have mentioned this in times past, that Tommy Newberry is the author. He's a Christian psychologist. It's based on Philippians 4-8, uh, and it's the 4-8 principle, which basically says, whatever things are good, lovely, pure, of good report, you, you know, goes on to say some other descriptors, think on these things. You know, and in the book he talks about, and, and, and I think he so captures the trick of what the enemy does. You know, we live outside of Christ and then we meet him and he washes away our sin. And the enemy comes in and says, 
do you really think? Did God really say? And you know what he says? You're an imposter. You know, and, and here's the thing. Here's what God says. When the Lord comes into our life and we do something godly, the Lord says, that's my boy. That's my girl. The enemy says, imposter, you're not that. But instead, when we do something sinful, God says, that's not you. That's the imposter. Get rid of that. Come on, can you say amen? amen. And, and if we're not careful, we live this place where we think, and, and I know I'm talking to somebody here this morning. You, you know, it's like there, there's not a revelation that you've been given the ring of his authority that you've been made his holy priest and his ambassador, and you are his child. Not, not the, the child, you, you know, like, I guess I'll tolerate you, and, you know, no, but the, the robe is on you, and the sandals are on your feet, and the ring is on your finger, and you're loved with an everlasting love, an extravagant love. Could be there are some that are here today where you're saying, man, I got to, my mind goes to, no, you could never be that. And, and no, there's an enemy. There's a devil out there who wants us to believe the lies rather than believing the truth of what God says. It will transform our walk with God when we realize this kind of love, what it is we have been adopted as sons and daughters in him. Amen. All right, and then the last one is takeaway here. Let's go back and let's just look at the, uh, you know, the, the older son. You know, maybe for some of us the takeaway is, man, that faithfulness, that loyalty, that, that commitment to, to, to my father and his, his house and his purposes. I, I really got to prioritize that. I want to be like that older son that's just so faithful. You know, maybe it's, all right, Lord, I'm surrendering to your call and your purposes brand new. Maybe for others it's, oh, I got a little bit of the church guy self-righteousness going on, and I need to surrender that prideful spirit and attitude here today. And how can we tell if that's going on? You know, what is our attitude? If there's anybody in our lives where we feel that we're looking down on them or we have the right to look down on them, boom. <laughs> that, that says we want to get that out and get rid of that, right? Can I just tell you, I think the Lord, when the Lord smiles on us, I think his biggest smile on us is when we're loving people that we don't have to. When we reach out and touch those that the world has forgotten about. Because we get to, we get to show the world that God is saying, I've not forgotten about you. We support a ministry that does uh, ministry to the, the, the homeless in New York City. Tompkins Square Park, other places, and every week they go out there and the Lord is saying to those folks, I love you and I've not forgotten about you. Even though everything going on in the world around them says you've been forgotten about, you don't matter. You know, so for, for us to carry away a fresh picture of, you, you know, something I, I, I try to look out for if there's that person who is, is being annoying to people around them. You know, even sometimes it's as simple as, I'm, I remember there was a, a lady on the grocery line and, and the worker was getting really annoyed and, and the lady had trouble hearing. 
you know? So uh, I just decided I'm going to respond in the opposite spirit of what that lady was doing. And, you know, she's probably feeling the pressure of the line building up. But her way to respond was to mistreat this lady who I can't imagine just 24-7. She's always mistreated. You could just see it on her face. Just I thought, hey, if there could be just a little fraction of 10 seconds of relief from that, that is showing the world the Lord, you know? Now, now here's the thing too. When, when his extravagant love starts to work in our lives, the deal isn't, the deal isn't anything other than just being the vessel for that love to pour out of, right? So when, when we deal with difficult, when we deal with sinful, when we deal with uh, situations requiring so much grace, those are the times for us to say, Lord, show yourself through me. Amen? Amen? You remember when Annette and I were at the altar at my... Uh, first pastor, Pastor Fogel, you know, he had said at, at the altar, he was giving us some advice. And how many of you know that he's also then giving advice to everybody else that was watching the wedding ceremony, right? You know, it's like a little, little seminar, you know, right in the, in the process. He said, hey, there'll be times where your earthly love will seem like it's stretched and even frayed. He said, but you have a love from heaven, an eternal love that lives inside you. And let that love spring up and pour out, and that'll get you through every difficult, dry place. What great advice for a marriage, and what great advice as we look at a world that, culturally speaking, is acting like the prodigal son. Amen. And we say, well, how can I love in the face of just, you know, such yuck? It's not an earthly love. It's allowing his love. Have you ever had that happen where you're like, that was not me. I mean, that so was not me. That was God's love and God's grace pouring out of me. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand with me as we close this morning? I went through all of that because I, I want us to be able to hook in and grab onto and, uh, you know, a, a particular, God, what's the biggest thing you want me to grab out of this parable today? And then be able to just chew on it all week. Lord, how do you want me to work this into my life? So Father, as we get ready to close this service this morning, we are so full, so grateful, so thankful for your extravagant love. Lord, as we've looked at the lost son, as we've looked at the father filled with love and forgiveness, as we've looked at the older brother, we just pray, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Lots of things we could grab, but what's the one thing you would speak to our hearts this morning that you want us to take away? And, and Lord, let it be that we don't just walk out today and, and say, okay, so I heard a message. But Lord, let it be that we've grabbed onto a truth that you want us to work into our lives in a greater way. God, as we today received these invitations for Resurrection Sunday, Lord, we pray that we would see this world around us with your love and your heart. Lord, that you would pour through us. Lord, let us have moments, let us have days in these next couple of weeks where we would say, that so wasn't me.
That was the love of God pouring through me. That was the grace of God pouring through me. And Lord, we just pray now over these invitations, these, these little invites. Lord, they represent a soul that you love, a soul that you want to see brought into the kingdom, saved, spending eternity with you. Lord, as we take these home, anoint us and give us opportunities to be able to invite and fill this house on Resurrection Sunday morning. Lord, we pray not only for this house, but all around our region. We know that that Sunday, more than any other, is one where prodigals come home. We know it's a Sunday where uh, lots of folks will have uh, a tendency to come and visit. Lord, we pray all around our county that what we saw in, in this parable today of lost prodigal sons and daughters being run to and embraced by their father in services all around this county. Lord, we pray that that would happen. Lord, above and beyond what we could ask or think. So Lord, all of this that we pray to get today, thanks for moving and thanks for doing lasting things. God, it's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. Amen.